Cracked fans to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a tremendous show for all of you listeners today as I am joined by a now six-time slam champion, former world number one, and a dear friend to us here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, I'm referring to Rajiv Ram, who joins us on the show today to discuss his run to the 2023 U.S. Open men's doubles title, share his thoughts on his Davis Cup experience, experience, how that event has changed, share his thoughts on how the game has changed throughout the course of his now long pro career. It is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic conversation that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Now, of course, if you're looking for other things happening in the tennis world, check out the Mini Break podcast, check out the Great Shot podcast. You can find all of our content housed on our website, crackrackets.com. You need the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin. I suppose it's X now, not Twitter. You all get the point. There's a lot of things happening in the tennis world. Slam may be done for the year, but we still have big storylines ahead. So for updates on that, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. But enough with the plugs. Let's get to it. It's a fantastic episode that I am certain all of you listeners to enjoy. Here it is, my conversation with the one and only Rajiv Ram. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a man whose list of accolades is almost too long to get into at this point. We'll go through the highlights. Of course, he was a 2003 NCAA doubles and team champion, 2016 silver medalist, former world number one, current world number five, and now six-time major champion after he and partner Joe Salisbury captured their third straight U.S. Open men's doubles title. Let's welcome back to our show our friend, the pride of Carl. Indiana. It's Rajiv Ram. Rajiv, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I love I love those intros from you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I went to the Barbara Walters School of Journalism. Butter them <laughs> up early, and then they'll answer the harder questions as we go on. But Smart. let's start with the big result. Obviously, you and Joe, a third straight U.S. Open. What is it about New York that seems to bring out your best tennis? Because respectfully, I'm sure there were parts of this year where you did not think that would be possible. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, tennis is a, a tough sport. You know, you, it's full of ups and downs. We we definitely had some some injury struggles this year. Um, my Achilles hasn't been great and it's been a difficult thing to deal with, you know, to practice and to play the amount of hours that I would like. And, and obviously the results kind of showed that. But I, I can't ever say that I, we ever thought it wasn't possible or that our level was uh, not there, assuming we could you know, we could train the way we needed to. And we started to both feel a lot healthier after Wimbledon was over and sort of was able to, you know, recommit um, to to doing what we knew we needed to do. And and yeah, it's obviously tough, but, you know, we had a great result in Toronto making the final and uh, and sort of felt like we were on the right path. And 
Yeah, yeah. Obviously, New York's a nice place for us. We we had some great memories, so that doesn't hurt either. Mm-hmm. Would you, you know, as you look back at that run, you brought up Canada. How important is it to get a result like that? You mentioned tennis, the ups and downs. How important, particularly with doubles, no ad scoring so often the time. How big of a factor is having that confidence? Yeah, for sure. And it also is just a matter of feeling like you're you're playing the kind of tennis that you know can get you those results. I think that's the biggest thing for us. We happen to to win a few of those matches, which was great. But uh, but we you know just playing that kind of tennis um, that we've known, and I guess this is where experience really helps. You, you know, we we know the kind of tennis it takes to win those majors, and and we felt like we were playing that kind of at that point. So um, that was for me, the biggest thing is, is feeling like, you know, we were really in, in contention and, and playing that way. And obviously the wins do help, but uh, it was more for me, just the, the, the level that we were able to bring. Mm-hmm. You talk about that level. I'm curious through all the injuries this year, is there, you know, you watch doubles. First of all, things move so quickly. It's hard to get a fine eye of, okay, that's, you know, what's on, what's off in any given moment. What for you was the hardest part in working your way back from in this injury? Is it consistency? Is it the speed? What is it that's the most difficult in making that return? Um, well, the biggest thing for me was that it affected my best shot, right? It affected my serve. So it was like, you know, just sort of feeling like the thing that I rely on or that I really feel like is sort of the corner one of the cornerstones of our game is my serve when my partner's at the net wasn't sort of as dependable as it as it has been in the past that's sort of a bit shaking right when you feel like the thing that you feel like is quite strong isn't quite as strong anymore is is hard so I I think it's more of that than anything Mm -hmm. not to nerd out too far a college coach once gave me a stat that in college doubles high level doubles the number he gave me was 73 percent of points are finished in the first three shots serve Mm -hmm. return forehand i'm always curious how do you guys go about simulating that in practice because it's a very specific skill set um yeah i think just what you said is is we're getting as good as you can possibly get at those first three shots you know so it's like you practice your serve you hit targets you try and make a certain amount you do different things. You vary it. You say, okay, I'm not going to just hit one spot every time. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go wide, T, you know, body. So you don't, you know, you know, there's no rhythm in doubles. And that's sort of one of the things that you need to practice is being able to produce something w- without that rhythm. Um, same thing goes for the serve. Same thing goes for, uh, sorry, the return. And same thing goes for maybe the first volley or the first ball off the server's partner. And then you get really comfortable at, at hitting those three shots. And then if the play goes further than that, then you sort of adapt and, elaborate if you will but uh I, I think whoever that person was, was was probably pretty spot on that um the best teams usually are able to 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 be really effective in those first three shots this one might sound silly how does one work on a poach i'm sure people at home are wondering because look not all of us are blessed with the hands of rajiv ram which if you've watched over the years obviously that touch has been something you've had since you were i'm sure 12 13 years old let alone now but those reflexes and working on that spontaneity that movement is that just something that has to be practiced in match play how do you go about sharpening those skills Absolutely not. If, if you wait till match play to practice that, it's going to be way too late. You know, um, no, no, that's something we do every day. And we actually started doing that even more um, on the grass court season. It's funny how these things you do them and they don't pay off until a bit later because we felt like we sort of lost a bit of that sharpness. So, yeah, no, it's it's not very complicated. You, you have, you know, a coach or, or maybe your partner stand at the baseline and, and fire balls at you when you're at the net and, and work on putting them away, work on, you know, understanding where the space is and, and how to sort of soften it up at times and do it on the move. Like you said, with poaching, it's not very glamorous. It's not very 
Um, it can be get it can get boring at sometimes, but it, it certainly does pay off to to do that for five ten minutes. Um, you know, at the end of every practice, which is sort of what we started doing. Are you knee on the ground in the eye formation guy now, or are you still you know in the spring the catcher's position? How do you make that choice? I am not knee on the ground. I am okay. more yeah more catcher's position, sort of with one hand, sort of like on the ground. But yeah, I feel like knee on the ground takes too long to get where you need to go. hundred percent. You're also surrendering at that point. Yeah. You're like, look, yeah. I can't, I can't do the catching anymore. Like I, at that point I'll call you and say, Rajiv, we got to talk. If I see <laughs> me on the ground, we'll have that heart to heart. But no, I mean, watching you and Joe play the word sharp comes to mind. It just felt like, I, again, best level of tennis is so hard to judge. It just felt like you guys were never rushed during that yeah. U S open performance. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when, um, any team, but for us, for sure, feels their best and feels sort of comfortable that they feel like they're the ones doing the rushing. I think that's sort of the thing that, uh, you know, you want to feel like you're the one taking it to your team, uh, your opponents, excuse me. So, yeah, I think um, it felt like that certainly from about maybe the third or third round quarterfinals onward that we were the ones sort of imposing ourselves in the beginning. There's definitely that sort of feeling a little nervous and confidence. We haven't won as much. We haven't done as well in the slams, all of that kind of thing. But uh, once we got past those first two or three matches, it it sort of felt like we were the ones um, doing the rushing. What's your favorite part about playing with Joe? I think um, we, we cover up each other's biggest weaknesses really well. Like, I mean, my biggest weakness is probably my movement, my athleticism, and, and he's probably the best athlete out there. And I think maybe his biggest weakness is, and he would say this too, is sort of his ball striking. And and I think um, I'm one of the better ones out there when it comes to just pure timing and pure ball striking ability. So it's like everything else we sort of can manage, right? Because we, we both do it pretty well. Okay. You know, some, we do things better than others and all that, but our two biggest weaknesses really get covered up by our partner, which is which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Do you guys work in the off season together, same location, or do you guys go? You trust yourselves to do your own thing, and then you'll find that level when once you get back. Yeah, at this point, I mean, we're gonna. This is our fifth year, right? So it's yeah. like the, the off season is really just that sort of you know taking the taking the break and um, you know, doing our own thing a little bit more. And then yeah, we usually have a couple of weeks before the Australian Open, which we feel comfortable of of uh, you know that we're gonna be okay in, in that situation. We did one off season, the first off season we before we ever played together we did do that uh, about a week together but but after that we have it five years is a long relationship at this point uh, you know again is it it, it's like riding a bike i imagine for you at this point and i is that the longest doubles partnership you've had yeah i mean before that the only other partnership i had was with raven clausen and that was about a year and a i'll see what we do a year 2015 no two and a half years excuse me um but for a big portion that i was still playing singles so it didn't really feel like it was just that partnership you know it was only one full year of really uh of only doubles and then yeah before that i didn't really have a commitment with anyone and then 18 i was bouncing around so i mean joe's really the first guy that i've played with when i've only been playing doubles so yeah when you played with Austin, did it feel like cheating during Davis? <laughs> no, actually, not at all. Austin's a real good friend of mine. Um, yeah. We, you know, we know that when we, you know, we play the, the country competitions. Um, look, he's number one in the world. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for a better partner than that in that situation. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, the you know Davis Cup continue next year, the Olympics, all that. I mean, Austin's a, a great player, and um, yeah, nothing but the highest level of respect for him. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Davis Cup, 
obviously a disappointing result for the Americans. And, you know, again, every match was competitive, certainly. And I know you and Austin went two and one, and I think you guys won the first two, that final deciding rubber. We're going to throw yeah. that in the trash. Uh, yeah. But I'm curious, you know, again, given what happened in the past with Davis Cup for you, how was that experience? And, you know, what do you think went wrong, perhaps, for the not wrong, but why weren't the guys able to pull through? Yeah, you know, a Davis Cup's a, a tricky one. First of all, the experience is amazing. I mean, anytime I get to represent the U.S. and play Davis Cup or the Olympics, I'm going to take that chance. Um, like I said, again, getting to play with, you know, someone like Austin. I mean, he's number one in the world, and he's had a great season. It's it's He's a good friend. I love that opportunity. Um, yeah, and then I think, you know, it's a tough ask. Um, you know, we, we have to go over to Europe. Those other teams are are European, so that's, you know, a tough one for us. Um and those guys played great. You know, the, the other team, they, they played great. Our, I thought our guys um, fought hard. Mackie especially, you know, did great. I think he got a little unlucky to lose that last match against Finland. Um, but I feel like it's it's a matter of just sort of, you know, gelling the team a little bit more. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we can get that next year, a little bit more continuity and a little bit more sort of feeling like the guys on the bench or everyone's part of it. Um, but I feel like... Uh, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. I thought, I think we all had high hopes for Davis Cup this year. So hopefully we can kind of use that as motivation going into next year. The round robin aspect, the fact that you were able to focus on Davis Cup for a week, is that more beneficial to you as opposed to the former format where it would be spread out across however many months? What are your thoughts on some of the changes that have been made? I mean, I didn't get to play Davis Cup in the old format. So the only time I've ever played is in this new one. I think the round robin thing is, is okay, but I don't think, I think the the taking away of the home and away situation is yeah it is is not good i feel like uh that's what davis cup's all about we played three matches there we played croatia obviously in croatia which was amazing what a great atmosphere you know they had uh, you know a bunch of people watching the band the whole bit and then the other two matches it was like our little cheering squad versus their little cheering squad it just didn't feel like what davis cup is supposed to be or what i know of it you know when i was watching growing up and and one of the reasons why i wanted to play so badly was that whole atmosphere and so i feel like um yeah maybe i don't know maybe it's better schedule wise i'm not sure but whatever benefit that is it gets taken away unfortunately by the fact that it's not that that aspect is gone some of those deciding breakers in the doubles in Davis Cup are, I think, some of the most exciting moments in tennis. And to watch yeah. you and Austin dig yourself out of a couple as well, I, I imagine you mentioned that just in the home environment, playing against Croatia in Croatia, they're yeah. all cheering against you. That's still better than no one in the stands, right? Like oh that, to, to your point. Unbelievable. What I mean, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I mean, it even, you know, even if not one person in that crowd is cheering for us, it just creates such a feeling, especially that particular match, right? Because that was the only one that we had a live doubles match where it was one all and that came down to our match. And, you know, we're playing against two other great doubles guys who have won majors and been number one or close to it, you know, number one in the world and all that. So I just was it was sort of, you know, sort of a really cool scene, a really cool atmosphere. And and that's sort of what Davis Cup's all about. You have, you know, two two countries going at it and, um, you know, playing in that situation. And um, yeah, like I had the same situation last year in, in Great Britain, um, playing against Joe and Andy Murray. Um, so, you know, those are the ones that I, that I really remember. And I, I feel like I, that's, that's what Davis Cup's all about. Yeah. Again, regardless of the results, certainly fun to watch this team compete and, yeah, hopefully, again, we'll get to see it all happen again next year. You mentioned the Olympics. Obviously, right now, I think you're five in the world in the doubles rankings. And, 
you know, right now you and Joe, I think, are sixth in the race to the year-end finals. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of Olympics is ranking-based and making sure you ensure your spot. Is that something you are going to go after as you look at the next, you know, six months and trying to qualify? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think um, it's something I, you know, it's something that I feel like is is a huge goal of mine is to play my third Olympics and hopefully do really well at my third Olympics. Um, I think I have a, a great opportunity with a guy like Austin also, in and around, you know, always in the top five and, you know, all that, as, like I said, at the moment, he's number one. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, there's a lot of tennis left to be, left to be played this year and, and obviously next year before that happens. But uh, it's it's certainly something that I'm, I'm gearing towards. How does, and by the way, third Olympics, that's elite company. Like not a lot of three-time Olympians in an individual sport like this. And again, 39 years young, as they all say. <laughs> um how exactly, and I apologize for not knowing this off the top of my head, how does it work for the doubles qualification? Because I'm never quite sure how that criteria is picked. So for those who want to follow your journey, what do you have to do? Um, yeah, so basically a team can have no more than six members. Um, and in our, in our case, in the U.S., they are, it's going to be four singles guys and two doubles players. So and, the, and you can have two doubles teams out of those six one being a doubles team and one being a doubles team made up of, of the two singles guys. So obviously it's pretty tough considering we have a bunch of great doubles players in the U S too. So um, yeah, but the, the idea is hopefully for me is for me and or Austin to be, you know, the, the top ranked doubles players and um, to get picked. If we're not, then look, there's going to be somebody else that's done great and is fully deserving of the spot. For example, right now, like Lamons and Withrow are playing great tennis and, and maybe they, jump us and all that. And that, that would be, you know, great for them. So no, no question about it there, but um, yeah, that's certainly a goal of mine. So yeah. Um, you kind of have to be within that top area uh, to get picked and and that's how it works. There's no, you don't have to play with Austin leading up to that. Do you? I do not No, Cause it goes based on individual ranking, which doesn't yeah. mean that you have to have a certain ranking with your partner. It goes based completely on individual ranking. That's what I figured. And look to your point, American tennis is loaded right now. I think loaded. there are 10 guys in the top 100 of the singles rankings, countless more in the top 100 of doubles. Have you noticed a change? Is there a vibe amongst the Americans right now with how things have progressed over the course of the past few seasons? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, there's a sense, obviously, with the fact that Roger and, you know, Rafa seem to be, Roger's definitely out now and Rafa seemed to be on his way out, if you will. I don't want to, you don't want to count him out, but he hasn't yeah. played in a little while and all that. Um, you, you get a feeling from the singles guys, like everyone feels like they have a, they have a chance, you know, they, stay, they, they see that there's that opportunity. Um, and I think, you know, you have players like, like Eubanks and, and Ben Shelton and, um, you know, a bunch of other guys, Mackie McDonald, another one doing, doing, you know, great things and they feel like they belong. So I feel like that's more the vibe than anything that I get is that, uh, the, the players on the men's side feel they belong. And I, I feel like, to be honest with you, some of that could be coming from the success the women have had over the last few years is feeling like, I don't know what they're at, like 10 in the top 50, if I'm not mistaken or yeah. something close to it. So, I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a group effort. Um, and, and I hope it only keeps going that way. Yeah, it feels like not just Americans, but it feels like there's a buzz around the college tennis pathway as well. And this mm-hmm. is one of my favorite stats. 36 guys in the top 100 of the ATP doubles rankings have college tennis ties. Wow. I know we've discussed this in the past, but the question I would have for you is why? Is it just because doubles is emphasized in college tennis in a way it really is nowhere else? Um, yeah, probably that. I also think that college tennis teaches you to be a good teammate. 
And I think that's one of the under sort of under talked about um, assets to being a good doubles partner uh, on tours. If you're a good teammate, you're going to probably be a good doubles partner or you're going to help your partner play well. So I think a lot of what happens in, in doubles it replicates that. And I think people learn that in, in whether they played well in doubles in college and double nights, it's not really about the tennis. It's more about the sort of the attitude. And I feel like college tennis brings that out in, in players um, and they become good teammates or better teammates. And I think they can use that skill when they play doubles on tour. Yeah. No, 36 is a big number, right? Like it, it's not a fluke anymore. I think there's 14 or 15 in the top 100 of the singles rankings. And I was going to say, there's probably a decent amount in singles as yeah, well. Yeah, I think it's 15 in singles. And I say this with love. Two of the names that aren't there are John Isner and Kevin Anderson, nor yeah. Stevie Johnson. And it's like, those were the three you'd always turn to. And it's like, no, there's actually this next generation of players. 100%. 100%. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the the one argument that I always laugh at is like, well, no one's won a major. It was like, well, how many guys have won a major in the last 20 years anyway? It's been about five, you know, it's yeah. like literally they've been dominated by these few. And it's like, you know, don't sleep on, you know, Cam Norrie having a great career or, you know, now we're seeing Eubanks and Shelton and all these guys. And obviously, like you said, John and Stevie and, and Kevin as well. I mean, you know, doesn't you don't have to win a major to be a successful tennis player. You know, <laughs> all these guys have done awfully well and they would probably all tell you that they wouldn't have done as well had they not gone to college yeah and my favorite stat from this year yana Kaufman, former usc all-american yeah, 31 years old he made a quarterfinal this year i think it was his 10th quarterfinal at the tour level but it took him till he was 31 years old he only had to win one match to get to the quarterfinals because he was finally seated and it's just oh, like yeah. do you how know funny. how much e- yeah like life just must be so much easier and it's like you know what i only had to win once and yeah. i'm in the quarters yeah. like there you go. it's a milestone and yeah i think the level continues to improve to your point you can point to so many different people in that pathway and i mean I, I know we've discussed outlines of this before. Was there a stigma? Twenty, and It's the 20-year anniversary. I know they honored your team this past mm-hmm. year in Champaign. Was there a bit of a stigma pr- back then to going to college tennis? Um, I think, yeah. There's always the people that think maybe, you know, if you go to college, it's sort of like a, I don't know, like you're not going to be a great pro. I, but I think maybe back then, but I feel like now, people are seeing that that is an absolute pathway to success a and B you see these, you know, players careers are lasting so much longer. Like you don't have to turn pro at 18 or, or 17 or whatever, or start playing on the tour at that age to, to really be successful. I think, you know, you, people look at it from more of a developmental standpoint and say, well, if I'm not good enough at 18, I can spend three or four years or two or three years at a, at a good college to really get better. And then, transition to when I am ready to the pro tour, because I still have 10, 15 years ahead of me, you know, and that's sort of one of the things that I dealt with when I was in school is that I thought people, you know, people were retiring at 30. So at 19 or 20, I'm like, well, I better start now because I only have 10 years left. And as you said, here I am a lot older than 30 still playing. And if I had known that I probably would have stayed in school a bit longer. Yeah. I won't say the age out loud, but if you would have told 19 year old you that you'd still be playing today, what would he have said? Would he have said nah. no way? No way. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no way. I mean, I mean, Andre Agassi was he's one of the best players of all time and he stopped at like 35 or 36 maybe. And that was like, guys, he felt crazy. old at that. Yeah, guys, crazy. You know, yeah. like all these other guys are stopping at, you know, at, at 30. And these are, and we're talking about the, the hall of famers, the best of the best, yeah. you know? And so forget about regular tennis players like me. So yeah, it was, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, wasn't in the cards. I didn't think that first point, of all, yeah. six time slam champion. Come on, <laughs> I got to put the respect on the name. No, but to your point, like he lost to a second generation of Becker 
at yeah. that U.S. Open. You were exactly. like, okay, it's time for him to retire. Like, yeah. I, I and it was, but I mean, he was also yeah. way, way older than anyone else at that point, you know, and playing at us. I mean, he was still in the third round of that U.S. Open. It wasn't yeah. like he was limping in. I mean, he still beat, I think it was Baghdadis and, yeah. you know, whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And, you know, again, by the way, just to finish that college thought, the, in the last five men's doubles majors, so dating back to the U.S. Open last year, one of the winning pair to win the men's doubles titles has college tennis ties, whether it's you and oh, Joe, really? whether it's Skupski, Austin, Rinky uh, in Australia <laughs> this year, and then yeah. you and Joe again last year. So it's been five straight. So oh, let the record show. Yeah, yeah. So that's you, pretty cool. That's one for the locker room for you. You can that's spread cool. that around. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, in that spirit again, you still got a long runway of career ahead. You dip the toes in at the uh, with Cal as a little assistant volunteer coaching job. Again, dip the toes being the operative term there. Um, is that something you'd pursue down the road? Is that something you'd be interested in? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I loved my time in college tennis play as a player. Um, it, it was a very from the peripheral stint of, of doing that with Cal. Um, so I, I didn't really get a great feel for what it's like on the other side, but you know, college tennis is, is an interesting landscape right now. I mean, you have so many rule changes with the NIL stuff and you have conferences being, you know, going sideways, really. I mean, with Stanford and Cal being uh, ACC schools and US, UCLA and USC being Big Ten schools, like it's <laughs> it's not really the college tennis that, that I played in terms of all of that other stuff. So it would take a lot of thinking and a lot of, you know, really understanding what it's like now. Cause it's definitely not like it was when I was either being recruited or playing. Um, but that being said, as we just talked about, it seems to be a great pathway to professional tennis. I think if you're in the right situation, it could be amazing. Um, but it's, it's just different. It's, it's not the same thing as it was. So I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, I know all about it. I, I'd have to learn a bit before I made that decision. Yeah, fair enough. It's a very you're ready from a PR perspective because that was a very safe answer, uh, my friend. But no, um, you know, again, final few questions for you. I it's a random name to bring up. It's I'm sure everyone's thought, okay, you're talking to Rajiv today. I want to ask him about Dino Prismic. The reason I want to ask you about Dino Prismic, the young player who was playing for Croatia, I watch. Yeah. Come on, okay. um, yeah. you got you have a show every day. Uh, you got to do it. I think there are shades of Elkaraz when you watch him play. How he moves and goes after the forehand, and it just like the way Elkaraz, Sinner, all of these younger guys strike the ball. It just yeah. feels like they're hitting bigger than yeah. ever before. And I'm curious if you see that. So I guess what this comes down to, I was talking with a coach and they go, the biggest difference between now and 10 years ago, players now have bigger weapons. Players then were more well-rounded. Yep. And I'm just curious what you think of that assessment. Spot on, I think. I think and the, the only thing I would add to that is just how much more physical side to side the game is now in singles. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you watch these guys move and, you want to talk about Alcaraz and Sinner because they're at the top of the game. But as you said, there's many other players down the list that are just coming up that, I mean, it's incredible how people can slide and move, you know, on a hard court, both sides, open stance, closed stance, doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it's something that wasn't even thought of as being safe when I was playing singles, let alone, you know, learning and doing. And I think it's, it's become so much a part of the game um that it, it becomes so much the coverage of the court is, is 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 not the same as it used to be you know um i think uh to your point also in terms of well-roundedness I, I also agree with that because i feel like in the you know in the early 2000s or or the mid 2000s or the definitely the 90s 
even the worst volleyers could volley okay. And now in singles, it's like even the best ones, you would say they're sort of average when it comes to how they were in the in the in the um in the 90s and the 2000s. But it's not like players are worse or better. It's just the evolution of the game and the evolution of the sport. And and I think you know, people forget that this is what people do for a living. Like they're going to figure out the single best way to win tennis matches. And, and it's, it's a different, it's a different way to do that now as it was back then. I don't think it's better or worse. It's it's just different. And the physicality has improved so much that players can hit the ball bigger. It's so tough to come to the net. It's so difficult to, to be successful doing that. So you'd rather spend your time really mastering, you know, how to move and how to play and how to run from the back than really worry about the net stuff. And I think that will also change because now how, what are you going to do to beat some of these guys? Well, maybe you have to come in, maybe you have to, you have to serve and volley some, and, and maybe you're seeing that a little bit um, in some stages. And I think, I don't think it means that serve and volley tennis or, or, or coming to the net is dead forever. It may just be done in a slightly different way than it used to be. Um, but I, th- I think it, it will continue to go in cycles like that. I agree. The reason I bring this up to come full circle, I was watching Prismich. And again, yeah. I'm, I acknowledge I'm weird. Like, let's <laughs> let the record show. I'm an outlier. But I actually had the thought of, man, I'd like to watch him and Rajiv go forehands cross court. Like, just wow. to see what that looks like, right? Because your technique, and I say this with love, it's like 2000s. His it's technique is like, probably, yeah. 2000s is being nice, man. It's more like 1980s, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you belong. A Prince Graphite should never have left your hand. But that's agree. a conversation for a different time. Yeah. Um, but like, it just would be a fascinating thing to see. Like, this is where technique was, and this is where technique is now because i do feel like he is he epitomized that like modern open stance forehand you were talking yeah about. yeah completely you know I, I i gotta tell you i gotta be honest when i play these davis cup matches like i i don't watch so much of the of the actual match because i almost get too like involved yeah, emotionally because i really obviously in that situation wanted mackie to win that mm-hmm. so like i we austin and i were warming up during that time and i sort of went through my pre-match routine as if it was you know the first match of me being third on i don't really watch that much so i can't comment too much on how he plays but i i believe it in the sense that you know the way that yeah these guys probably look at me hitting the forehand and be like how does that even work and i think the same thing for them like how how do you even get the ball to go forward like that but listen i mean it it works man and and what they're doing you know what some of these guys are doing and how how they're able to play is is incredible to watch and it's incredible to to see even more so in person yeah, no, it's just like it's the development of the human elbow, how it's shifted yeah. and what we do differently with it now. And yeah, again, it's just it's fascinating to get to watch all of that. And, you know, again, final few questions for you here. Davis Cup now in the rearview mirror. You're getting mm-hmm. ready to head to Asia. Are you excited to get back there? And what's ahead in this home stretch of the season? What are you hoping to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, we still have a bunch of huge tournaments left. I think it's funny. People think of tennis sort of ending at the U.S. Open, you know, and there's sort of talks. Maybe, maybe there's an argument for that. I don't know. But at the moment, it's not the case. I mean, we still have got four tournaments left for this season. and It's uh, Shanghai, uh, Vienna, Paris, and Turin. And so three of those four tournaments, or two of them are Masters. One of them is, is obviously the Tour Finals, which is a huge event. And one of them is a, a big 500 tournament. So yeah, it was nice to take a little bit of a break after Davis Cup, but uh, you know it's definitely time for us to to get back on it. And um, and there's a lot of tennis to be played and a lot of important tennis to be played uh, for the rest of the season for us. Yeah, we're looking forward to watching it all. My last question for you, I alluded to this earlier, 20th anniversary, the Illini, I believe the last team to finish a season. And that's not true, 2013 Virginia. But in the conversation amongst the last teams to finish a season undefeated, win a national championship, sweep all the big categories as well. 
here's what I ask. If in the 2024 NCAA tournament, 64th team, they drop out. They had, unfortunately, a COVID bug swap through. They need an emergency team. 20th anniversary. They say bring in the Illini 20th anniversary oh, team. Boy. Can you guys win a match in the current NCAA tournament? You get to pick however. The, you're probably playing one. Spoiler alert for you at this point. Uh, but Brian, you know, all the you bring back everyone. Can you guys win a match? Like a match or like a team match? A team match. Because I think you guys ah, could take man. a doubles point. Get out point. of here. 20 you years? You don't think you could sneak out a doubles point? No. No, like that. I, th- yeah. I, I think we could maybe win like a match somewhere along. <laughs> Somebody can win, but there's no way anyone's winning singles. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm not winning <laughs> singles. And if I'm not winning singles, I don't think any of those other guys are winning singles. Um, yeah. We had a great team and I was really fortunate to be a part of it. We are well past the prime of playing singles. And I think the college tennis level is way too good for us, but I love the fact that we can have these sort of conversations and and be a part of it. I'm honestly honored to, to be Mm -hmm. on a team that was, you can talk about with that Virginia team. And we had a little chat Stanford. Yeah. With Bob and Mike at Davis cup, they would there, they still got to be up there at the top as, as probably the best. Um, but the fact that we, can hold ourselves in that conversation is, is pretty cool. Nonetheless is the undefeated and, you know, winning all the, the singles and doubles, but yeah, that 98 Stanford team was pretty rough. <laughs> they dropped four points. Four yeah, points I know. Total. I heard all about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which ones they were and how they would beat us and all that. I didn't really have much to say. Unfortunately, when their six guy got to a hundred in the world, like that didn't yeah. happen. You're like, look, you're my coach right now, but yeah. <laughs> off the clock, I, I got some thoughts on it. No, yeah. here's my, I think you guys could sneak out a doubles point. Like, I think you guys could go up 1-0 on a team. And if the match is in Champaign and Dancer has everyone rocking and rolling, you know, maybe, again, you fly in some Craig Tiley. I was going to say, you find our coach to start with. Maybe that would be good. And then, uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, look, I don't know. I don't know how much tennis, I guess Brian's still in the tennis world. I don't know how much. Amir's playing pickleball these days. I don't yeah. know how. So much. still has racket skills. It's volleying. <laughs> it's still there. That's what I'm saying. One zero, and then a quick four one loss. Yeah, quick, quick four. <laughs> a lot of probably a lot of retirements due to injury. Yeah, I first sets tough first sets, but then yeah, six four retire. Uh, yeah. No, again, well, with all of that said, congratulations to you again. Sixth major title, and you know, again, Olympic dreams. Number three, still very yeah. much alive, and we will be rooting for you here at Crack Rackets. We always appreciate you taking the time. So good luck to you. Wishing you, your family, safety, health, and good luck the rest of this year. You as well. Thanks a lot. I'm, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Now, of course. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with 2023 U.S. Open men's doubles champion, now six-time slam champion, and again, our dear friend here at Crack Rackets, Rajiv Ram. A massive thank you to him for taking the time to chat with us before he heads off to Asia. I do mean it sincerely. We're always rooting for his success. We always appreciate his time. Always enjoy getting the chance to chat with him. So join all of us in following Rajiv over the course of the next six months as he makes a push for a third Olympic appearance. Of course, if you're wondering what else is going on right now in the tennis world, great shot podcast, mini break podcast. We got updates on everything happening at all levels. Of course, for that content, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the 
of an editing job he does day in, day out. He makes all of the content you see possible. A massive thank you to him as always. A thank you to the support we get from our friends at Turna as well here on this show. With all of that said, for the fantastic Rajiv Ram, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turna, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.